Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. Hi, I'm Gail. Welcome to the show. Today, we're delighted to be having a conversation with Linda Gessler. And we think Linda is the perfect guest for us because she's going to be able to talk with us today about her experiences with retirement and what her life is like now as she's spent several years in a post-retirement phase and also talk about the kinds of self-growth experiences that she's having and how she's thinking about what does it mean to continue to be active and contributing as she's moving through this process? That sounds great. You know, that really does. And I'm really looking forward to our listeners being able to hear more about you, Linda. So Linda, we know that you're 72 and that you retired from full-time work about 12 years ago. I think it's seven. Seven years ago. Sorry. Seven years ago. That's my math problem. So tell us a little bit about what you were doing in your full-time work. Well, for about 15 years, I'd been the budget and contracts manager for the Oregon Youth Authority. And in Oregon, what that means is um, I signed all the contracts for all the services that we purchased, but I also managed all of the budget activity with Department of Human Services the governor's office and the legislature and trying to promote and write and defend and be active in behalf of the Oregon Youth Authorities. And they are the juvenile justice agency for the state of Oregon. All the kids that are in um, close custody and community programs and in foster care if they've committed a crime. So a very, sounds like a very complicated kind of position with many stakeholders involved. Yes. It, there was a lot of interacting with a high-level stakeholders, mm-hmm. like the governor's office, the legislature, mm-hmm. the media, mm-hmm. because it's all about the money and what, and what the money is doing for the taxpayers to help them in the juvenile justice system. Did you actually relate with the juveniles? Not at this point in my career. I started out my career then. That's how I started. Mm -hmm. And then I worked my way into administration. And then I worked my way onto the business services side of any operation, any private nonprofit, any county government that manages a jail or a detention center, all have administrative staff or budget staff policymakers, that's where I worked my way to. Wow. So so bring us to the point where you were starting to think about retiring and how old were you then? What was driving you to think toward retiring? Sometime when I about 60, 61, the pressure of the job just became so intense that the hours were long But the activity during the day was just very intense. It always had been. But as I aged, I found that it was taking a larger toll. So I would would work during the week, and I had stopped taking work home on the weekends. But what I was finding as each year went by 
is, is that I would need the entire weekend just to recover mm-hmm. so that I had enough energy to get to work on Monday and go back at it and start continuing the process and continuing to work. So I was finding that my life was becoming no fun. There wasn't any energy, any time really for fun. Um, If I did do anything on the weekend, like on Saturday, I would find that on Monday I was not ready to go. I was just finding that I was more weary, more fatigued, and not enjoying my life. Mm -hmm. So when you you did decide to retire, did, did you have a vision of what it would be like after retiring, at least from full-time work? I didn't really find that I had any time to figure out how that would work. Mm -hmm. The expectation where in government is is that you'll retire, they replace you with a new person, and you don't ever come back to work. You never see those people Mm -hmm. again. There isn't a way back into that work. And since I had left direct service and gone into administration, that's even more difficult Mm -hmm. to find any kind of role for a part-time person, even with knowledge and experience. Uh It's just not done that way. So my vision was I would figure it out, hopefully. (laughs) And what were those first few months like or first year like as you were figuring out what? Well, well, at first I rested and had a vacation. Good for you. <laughs> and then after that, I was called right back to work unexpectedly. And so I didn't have to work full time, but I was working at least 20, 30 hours a week wow. initially because the agency had received a lawsuit. A whole lot of people had retired and they needed somebody who had some knowledge. And so I pretty much went back to work three days a week. Linda, may I ask you, when? how old were you when you actually retired that first time? I was 64 and a half. 64 and a half, so not quite on Medicare. No, but I had saved enough money to pay that health insurance for six months. Okay. And then I would go on Medicare. Mm-hmm. And that, as you already know, cuts the health insurance bill in half. You, you say that they... That they uh, brought you back. Is that something that you wanted to do or felt obligated to do? I would say that a little bit of both. They said they needed my help. And so, (laughs) yes, that spoke to my heart. (laughs) And so I thought, well, I want to help. It it wasn't something I had anticipated doing at all. And what you, my understanding is what you were brought back to was not the unit that you were overseeing. Correct. As the, as I said, they filled that with other people, new people, but they didn't have the experience. But because there wasn't anyone in the business services side of the agency with my knowledge and experience, the people on the program side who had to manage the lawsuit asked me to come back and help them. So it was a whole new group of people. I knew them, but I had never worked closely with them before. What was that like? It was very difficult because I had no role. I had no title. And people ask me all the time, so what are you doing? What are you working on? Why are you still here? Why are you at this meeting? Why are you not enjoying retirement? What are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm helping out. I'm working on this project. Seven years later, I'm still working on that project. Oh, no. So how did it make you feel 
needed or or relevant or what what would drive you back had you not found you were you were retired so shortly did you had you not found something that replaced what work was for you it i did not find anything that replaced what work was for me there wasn't anything yet that was as stimulating as interesting mm-hmm. as and and that fed my soul of helping mm-hmm. so I, the, uh, that's what that and it, it made me feel relevant, and the fact that I could do it part time made it much easier for me not to get to to be able to begin to weave in some fun into my life. It took a while. It took several years. Mm, that is a while. I I'm um, curious too about we said about you you moved to a different unit. You knew the people, but you didn't have authority or responsibility i mean you had responsibility but you weren't in charge i wasn't in charge i was a technical support person and the all the people that worked on the lawsuit including the department of justice and the department of human resources staff didn't know anything about the work the project that we were working on the residential care facilities and the way they received their money and their payment process mm. and so I went thinking, I went to these meetings representing the Oregon Youth Authority, thinking that I would and help steer the policy in the right, in the direction I thought it should go. And I was not able to do that. Mm-hmm. I had no title. Mm-hmm. I had no role. People mm-hmm. didn't know that I knew anything. They just like, oh yeah, you're with the Oregon Youth Authority. Okay. Well, this is what I think. This is what I think we should do. I found myself really fighting to get my voice out there, which is something I didn't mm-hmm. have to do when I had my title and my role. Mm-hmm. The other people were, yeah, I think you can understand how that might yes, be. Yes. When someone comes in and says, I'm your physician, we start to ask, we think that we start asking them questions like they know stuff. And if they come in and say, I'm a medical technician, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily ask them questions because we assume they don't have any knowledge. That's the situation I was in. And what did that, how did you deal with that? What did that lead you to, to do? So I was finding it was really, really difficult. And I was getting a lot of, I was getting dismissed at meeting a lot, mm-hmm. not getting listened to, not getting heard. That's how I felt. And so then I started to reach out to the people I worked with, who, by the way, are people who are mental health therapists by education and by experience, mm. who had moved up into administration because you make more money. Mm-hmm. And though, but they still had their mental health therapy skills. And so I reached out to them to help me deal with the fact that I didn't have a role. How do I solve these problems? How do I get my voice heard? How do I become more effective in mm-hmm. the meetings? How do we do the policy in the direction that we want? And uh, they were wonderfully helpful and very supportive of me and still are today. It's, it sounds like you are you were preparing for retirement. Exactly what I was doing. <laughs> it's been a wonderful seven years and I now only work about one day a week you're still working. <laughs> I'm still working at the same project. Wow. I from a lawsuit to a work group to a new set of administrative rules to a new rate model. And I did all of that work. And now we're 
writing a, a procedure manual for the providers, and I'm in charge of that manual. You know, I want to go back to what you said a few minutes ago, making starting to have more fun. What is what is more fun for you? What what are the kinds of things that you engage in? Um, I I really love visiting with people. <laughs> so I wanted to visit with my friends and family. I wanted to go get to know them, to do things with them. So, for example, my my siblings and I go on a tri- an annual trip somewhere in the United States every year. I start I went started going back to my visit my cousins and my friends who all lived in Minnesota, which is where I grew up, mm-hmm. going back every year for two or three weeks. I started going to visit my cousin who lived in California. My sister lived in Portland, which is an, an hour away from me. And I started spending uh, every Saturday afternoon, we would do something. That's what I consider fun, plant shopping or going for a bike ride or mm-hmm. hiking, but doing it with people I enjoy. Mm-hmm. When you were asking for help, for support with the kind of, I just call it interpersonal relations for lack of better word, with your coworkers, what other tools besides talking with mental health people did you have you found helpful? And so I also reached out to my friends and told my friends, these are the kinds of things I'm experiencing at work. And these are the kinds of things I'm trying to uh, make go better. And um, one of them suggested the Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. I've heard of it, yeah. And they had attended, one of my friends had attended a workshop about six months earlier and suggested I might enjoy that. And so I went home to Portland and did a search on the internet and I found a workshop about two and a half hours away from my home. And I went to that workshop. It was a weekend workshop. And it, um, I would say, perhaps it's overstating it to say it changed my life, but it changed my life. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. It was wonderful. It brought new knowledge to me of myself and all the people around me. And I signed up after the workshop. I also signed up for the Institute, Enneagram Institute's Thought for the Day for my particular type. And I read that every morning. And it helps focus myself on how um, I'm going to behave that day and how I'm going to learn and interact with others. Can, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about how that workshop, what that workshop was about? I mean, what, or what you learned from it about yourself that you didn't know before? I learned about, well, I'm a type eight. Uh, Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa also were type eights. And in the Enneagram, you can have average way of behaving or you can have highly skilled way of behaving or or low skill. And I was striving, am striving to be the high skill Enneagram 8, type 8, behaving in that way, which is um, helping other people, doing social justice in a way that makes people helps people come along and move ideas and I'm trying to do I'm trying to do it in that way unhealthy Enneagram eight type eights dominate uh Donald Trump is also a type eight Mm. and they tend to dominate and be very outspoken and push other people down so I learned 
how best to use my what my natural gifts are in a way that will make me feel good about myself and help the larger world around me. That's been a quest since I can since I was 14. I know that to help the larger world and to promote social justice. Well, you've certainly been doing that in your professional work. Yes. Yeah, with the, exactly. with the, the youth authority. And I'm wondering about now as you you're there one day a week, and it sounds like you might be moving to zero days a week at some point. At some point. At some point. Uh, but how how do you how else do you think about contributing to the welfare of others or the betterment of our society? How are you approaching I, that? I think about uh, participating with the legislature, mm-hmm. and 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 gun violence happens to be something I care about and have friends who care about it, and we're working to support those people who are wanting to change the legislation uh-huh. in the state of Oregon and going to testify with the legislature, being one of those people doing that research. I also have looked at volunteer opportunities, and for me, in the state of Oregon, in the state of Washington, probably other states, they have a program called Ombudsman for sen- for people in seniors, mm-hmm. senior nursing homes mm-hmm. and f- adult foster care homes. And these ombudsmen are highly trained. They have to go through as much training as the Enneagram and go mm-hmm. and they go out to the nursing homes unannounced and do reviews. And I'm really looking forward to doing that and going through that training. As soon as I have a little bit less time to work or not working at all, mm-hmm. I really want to do that. And I'm looking for the kind of volunteer opportunities that will help me move policy forward mm-hmm. to help bring injustice, social justice issues to light. That's really interesting how you're finding, becoming more clear about what paths you would want, you want to pursue and and continuing the uh, expertise, the work that you've done in policy, influencing policy, um, identifying what's wrong in systems, what needs to be improved, and now you're taking that just into another venue. Yes, into another venue, one where they are open to having um, volunteers come in and do that kind of thing. They already have the program. Um, Someone else also reached out to me recently about writing some grants, which is Mm. something I had done earlier in my career before I went into government, but worked in the nonprofit sector for a senior living program that happens to be in the town where I live and to help them write. They're on the board and they want me to help them write grants. So I anticipate I'll be participating in that project very soon. You know, I'm particularly taken Linda by how you when you when you first retired you said that you really didn't have any plans for retirement because you didn't have time to even think about it and so here how many years later 10 7 7 7 years later you have you you are doing things that obviously have taken thought and have put you on a trajectory to keep keep being heard, keep uh, participating, to to keep doing the things that you always knew you wanted to do. And it's just an interesting journey to me, 
how you haven't just sat back and said, okay, I'm working a few days a week. Okay, I'll just, uh, I'll just go in when I go in and, and uh, you know, and go visit family otherwise. No, your mind is constantly going and thinking about how you can help others. It's very hey. impressive. Yes, I think so too. I just, I'll just acknowledge right now that I've known Linda for over 50 years and we were since undergraduate school at the University of Minnesota. And I've known her to always be inquiring, curious, researching. If we, a question comes up and she says, I'll research that. So I, I think this is just, because these are other areas where you can bring your investigative skills and your curiosity to bear. And I, I also wanted to just have you say a, a word about how you're bringing the, your research skills to the benefit of your family. So one of the passions that um, I found actually through my 85-year-old uncle lost his wife. And he was very lonely. And I started to go visit him um, every week. And he had started family genealogy. And he really got me into it and really invited me to participate with him and told me stories. And I really found them very interesting. And I found a real outlet for my research skills. Mm -hmm. My love of delving down past the surface mm -hmm. and into this and into that. And why can't I find this person in the 1910 census? I know they must have been living there. And continuing to work at it and work at it. And it really feeds my love of solving a mystery. And yet helping find the people from our family stories they're finding I'm finding their stories and I'm working then on writing those stories up mm -hmm. and sharing them with all the other relatives we have a Facebook page mm. for our extended family a very extended family and I post things on there about once a week letters that I find mm. stories that I've written new information and I get comments back, and it's wonderfully satisfying. So I'm continuing mm -hmm. to go down that path. Have you found new family members that you didn't know about? Yes, absolutely. I'm always looking for the new cousins, the ones <laughs> who are still living, that had descended from um, my grandfather's family. Wow. So, so how did you and Catherine actually meet 50 years ago? You showed up at the house I was sharing with some other women. Uh, and, and we were looking for a roommate and Linda appeared at our door and she had just come back from Aust a trip to Australia because her mother is from Australia. And I saw her. Here's this. I'm tall. Linda's tall. She'd just been to Australia, which just ignited my imagination. And I said, OK, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's exciting to hear you, Linda, and to hear your story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. We really uh, know that the things that you have said and, and kind of the way your mind thinks and how you've approached retirement is going to be very helpful for all the people listening. So uh, thank you. And just to remind us that we're talking about aging reimagined. And I think Linda is a, a wonderful model for all of us so thank you so thank much linda thank you gail you're I've welcome you. you're you. very welcome linda
And we'll see you all again on the next episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.